Testament. There's lots of words for peace. It's used a hundred times uh, in the Old and New Testaments, over a hundred. And yet this particular word carries with it the kind of the connotation of a mediator, someone who seeks to bring harmonious relationships between two opposing parties. It's not a peace wanter, someone who just wants to have peace. It's not someone who is simply at peace themselves. This is someone who longs to see everyone else at peace and works hard to see that accomplished. It's not blessed are the peaceful. It's not blessed are the peace wanters. It is blessed are the peace makers. Welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Riser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And if you'll stand, I'll again be reading the blessed attitudes of the kingdom, the blessings that come from being part of the kingdom. And as I read them, again, I would encourage you to be thanking the Lord for these great blessings, to be considering how you are participating in them, and possibly to be considering if you even are participating in them. What a shame it would be to spend week after week after week on the Beatitudes, the blessedness of the kingdom, and for you not to be able to partake of those because you have not entered into the kingdom. Remember, these blessings are for those who by repentance and faith have entered into the kingdom in its present form, which is to serve and honor God through his church. So consider that as we read and find joy as believers in the blessedness of the kingdom. Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse one, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please be seated. Now, someone has once defined peace in this way. Peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. I would say in our current day and age, that is more true than ever. There are ceasefires, and then there are the breaking of ceasefires. And people stop for a moment, they reload, and they begin again. And it always seems like at some point in history, people think, well, we're done with war. We're done with, you know, we will now have peace, peace for our time. And it seemed like that was true right before World War I. You remember, there was great confidence in human nature and in what we were accomplishing and the science that was going forward. And we've abolished war, and we're working on, you know, working on poverty, all the things going on. And then there was World War I inflagration that just killed millions. And well, there's a brief recovery from that, but right on the heels of that, what? The war to end all wars. 
I don't think so. That war certainly didn't end all wars. There have literally been hundreds of wars since 1945, and there will continue to be so. Why? Because men are not at peace. Now, the men are not at peace with one another. That is certainly true. They cannot get along, and we'll discuss that a little bit this morning. They can't get along. Why? Because they're sinful. And really, ultimately, it's impossible to get along with someone else until they believe what you want and give you what you want. That's who we are. And so if people won't do that, then we won't be at peace with them. And the bottom line is, if everybody wants their own thing, then no one can actually be at peace. But there's a bigger problem, and you know what it is. The reason that men cannot be at peace with one another, why it's impossible for them ultimately to live at peace, is because they're not at peace with God. And God is warring against men. You see, that's a shocking concept for most. They say, well, man wars with man, and God is at peace with everyone, and if people could just figure that out, then everyone would be fine. God is not. God is warring against sin, and all men come into the world sinful, and God's wrath, says Romans chapter 1, is upon them, and so they will never be able to have peace with one another until they have peace with God first. That is the primary problem that man faces. John MacArthur says, with all the avowed and well-intentioned efforts for peace in modern times, few people would claim that the world or any significant part of it is more peaceful now than a hundred years ago. We do not have economic peace, religious peace, racial peace, social peace, family peace, or personal peace. There seems to be no end to marches, sit-ins, rallies, protests, demonstrations, riots, and wars. Disagreement and conflict are the order of the day. No day has had more need of peace than our own. And I would say that that is true of every day. Every day until Christ comes again, there will be need of peace. You see, we have need with peace with God so that we can live in harmony with Him. And we have need then of peace with one another so that we can live in harmony with His people. When there is no peace in the church, there will be little effective work for Christ. And the peace of God that He would grant to others is not deemed as valuable, as precious, or as visible when the church is not at peace. And so what we'll see this morning is that the true kingdom living is evidenced by a continual pursuit of peace within the church and a passionate proclamation of peace to the culture. No, the culture cannot have peace, but the church must. The culture will always war with one another. The church must never war amongst itself. That is the goal, that we would be at peace. Now, we are on chapter nine or verse 9 of chapter 5, which is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But we've said that these things really build Right? There's no way to be a peacemaker unless you are poor in spirit, recognizing your own bankruptcy, that you on your own have nothing to offer, that it is ultimately God who brings everything to the table. It is He who, who gives you all the resources necessary, and you certainly will not be a peacemaker if you don't mourn over your sin, because you will be caught up in your sin, and you will, not, you will, be, you will be carefully cultivating your sins that really lead to a lack of peace, because it is sin always that drives a lack of peace with one another. Well, if you're not gentle, you certainly aren't going to be a peacemaker. You will be exerting the force of your will, not coming underneath the will of God to exert the right amount of pressure to accomplish his purposes. Instead, you will be like a bull in a china shop, constantly blazing away at other people, or you will be meek and reserved, a a worldly meek and reserved, refusing to confront people because that just wouldn't be nice. Either way, you will not be properly gentle and conflict will not be solved. So we must be poor in spirit. We must be those who mourn over sin. We must be gentle, but... How about hungering and thirsting for righteousness? If you don't long for others to be righteous, for you to be righteous, for the righteousness of God to be expressed, then you won't solve conflicts either. Conflicts at their root are the the reflection of unrighteousness in the heart. Well, 
if you're not merciful, blessed are the merciful. If you're not merciful, you certainly will not solve conflict. Instead of wanting people to be relieved from the very things that, from the very pains and difficulties they suffer, you will add to them. In fact, that's part of conflict is enjoying seeing other people suffer. Oh, we wouldn't put it that way. And yet we're the ones that bring the suffering by, uh, how about those times when you say, well, I'm not even going to speak to you anymore. I'll, I'll have you suffer in that, in that anger that you express towards me. And so I won't even talk to you. I'll make you pay. That's not merciful. To be merciful would say, I would long for you never to have to pay. What can I do so that we can work through this and the problem can be solved? And then last week we talked about being pure in heart. As we'll see this morning, purity of heart is directly related to peace with men and peace with God. We cannot have peace with God if he's not made our hearts pure. And we cannot have peace with others if we are not deepening in that purity of heart so it is expressed in our relationships as we work through the conflicts which will most certainly arise. So these all build. And it is perhaps that this reaches the pinnacle because as we'll move on from here, the next beatitude, blessed are those who have been persecuted. These, the things we've talked about are internal and then working within the church itself. As we move on to the next one, it will be what happens on the outside. Those, as those who come to persecute us, how will we respond to that as a corporate group? Well, I think we've perhaps built to the pinnacle of what we need to accomplish as a church in this beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers. And you might be thinking, well, this is a little bit of overkill. We just did this a couple weeks ago, didn't we? We had a whole conference on conflict, making peace, and we had to make every effort. We haven't done enough because all the conflict in this church and our own lives has not yet been resolved, has it? Oh, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular here, but I think I can, I can state with confidence that all your conflicts are not gone, that there is not total peace in this church or in all of your marriages or in your relationships with your children or in your work relationships we have a lot of work to do. And so the joy is as we just press through scripture, we come to the next thing, here's the next thing, and we will press forward in what it means to be peacemakers. But the beauty of it is, I only have, I'm only going to take one session on this this morning. Lou Priolo several weeks ago spent five sessions on it, and you can pick those up, and then you can even go further as he's got more and other people have more. So you can flesh out the details, which is what we must continually do if we're to deepen in our ability to make peace. Well, let's define a few terms here. Blessed, again, is to have that joyful contentedness which flows from being the recipient of God's loving, kind, unmerited favor. And all these are blessed. Blessed are, are in, for each of these characteristics, those who do them, they are blessed. Perhaps none more so than blessed are the peacemakers. Because when you are making peace, you are experiencing ever increasingly that joyful contentedness and really in actual ways in your relationship with others as well as in your relationship with the Lord. So blessed certainly having a joyful contentedness are those who make peace. And that's the next phrase here, the next word. It's the only place this particular word is used in the entire New Testament. There's lots of words for peace. It's used a hundred times in the Old and New Testaments, over a hundred and yet this particular word carries with it the kind of the connotation of a mediator, someone who seeks to bring harmonious relationships between two opposing parties. It's not a peace wanter, someone who just wants to have peace. It's not someone who is simply at peace themselves. This is someone who longs to see everyone else at peace and works hard to see that accomplished. It's not blessed are the peaceful. It's not blessed are the peace wanters. It is blessed are the peace makers. And so we're going to step through all the connotations, all of the, how, how do we flesh this out in scripture? What does it mean to actually make peace? And I've given you, again, kind of a, a scriptural definition, a, a theological definition, as it were, of this particular word as it's used in context. I think it would, would go something like this. It's on your outlines. 
A peacemaker is one who delights in exerting maximum effort to bring reconciliation between opposing parties as a demonstration of the character and work of God. See, this is delight of the heart of the true believer. We long to see peace, and therefore we will work to make it, to see that peace is brought about. That is exerting all of our efforts. That's what it says there, maximum effort. At the end of the day, it is God, as we will see, who allows peace to be made. It is his power. It is his work. But it is our effort that is involved in it. And so we exert maximum effort to bring reconciliation. There's the theological term. Where there's a relationship that is broken, there needs to be reconciliation. Those, the two parties that are at odds with one another, or perhaps one at odds with the other, there needs to be a reconciliation that is had, a restoration of relationship. And all of this is a demonstration of the character and work of God. He himself is the great peacemaker. He is the one whose heart longs for peace and works to see that peace is brought about. Hebrews 12, 14, which we, which we discussed and was really kind of the theme of our conference several weeks ago, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace. It is something that flees from us because we are sinful, and so we must pursue it, actively working towards it so that peace is brought. So that's the definition of a peacemaker, kind of in, in, in a broad overview. But now, as with each of these characteristics of being in the kingdom, let's look at the necessity of peacemaking. Why is it laid out here as so important? Why is it that Jesus mentions this as part of the blessedness of being in the kingdom? Well, first, and as has been true with each of these characteristics, peacemaking is necessary for people to enter into the kingdom. There must be peace made. As we said, we come into the world sinful, at war with God. Really, he's at war with us. We're at war back with him because of our sin. And so we come in with really ultimately a hatred of God, says the Bible. And he has a hatred of our sin, so he is warring against us. And therefore, there must be a peace made. Romans 1.18 puts it this way. For the wrath of God, the anger of God, the righteous, holy, just anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And the scripture is clear that all men come into the world sinful. And therefore God is at war with all sinful men, which by definition is every man apart from Christ. It's not that we come in, you know, and we've got to kind of get back into good relationship with a, with a man upstairs. You know, he's just kind of peaceful towards all. And if we could just kind of work our way back towards that, everything would be fine. No, he's actively warring against the sin in mankind. And so his wrath is being poured out upon us. From this standpoint, it's important for us to understand that for there to be peace, there must be pain. For there to be peace, there will be difficulty. Why? Because we start out sinful. It isn't like we have two people that are, are uh, already perfect trying to then you know, just get together so they can have a good relationship. We already start out tainted and broken. And this is what Jesus meant when he says in Matthew 10, 34, because some of you might've been thinking this. Well, if God is the great peacemaker... If Jesus is the one who brings peace, then why did Jesus say in Matthew 10, 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth? It's one of those confusing sayings of Jesus. I, I tell people as we study through the gospels, they're like, oh, aren't you glad to be in the gospels? You know, that's the easy stuff. That's me. And I'm like, I don't understand anything Jesus says. I have to constantly work through and try, what are you saying? How does this work together? When he says things like this. And we're not even there in, in the text in our expositional study, but I got to bring it to bear. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why? Because a sword is first. The sword of the word of God to expose our sin and to demonstrate the wrath of God against sin. There will be pain first, a recognition of sin, a mourning over sin, a poorness of spirit. You see how this all fits together. 
That has to come first or there will not be reconciliation. John MacArthur says, until unrighteousness is changed to righteousness, there cannot be godly peace. And the process of resolution is difficult and costly. Truth will produce anger before it produces happiness. Righteousness will produce antagonism before it produces harmony. The gospel brings bad feelings before it can bring good feelings. A person who does not first mourn over his own sin will never be satisfied with the righteousness of God. The sword that Christ brings is the sword of his word, which is the sword of truth and righteousness. Like the surgeon's scalpel, it must cut before it heals because peace cannot come where sin remains. You know this to be true, don't you? As you proclaim the truth of the gospel, that men are truly sinful, that they are separated from God, that their sin causes the wrath of God to come upon them righteously so that they will spend eternity in hell, and and you tell them they are in fact deserving of that, rarely do they look at you and say, that's great news. Usually they say, what are you talking about? Go away from my door. Don't charge me with sin. And even when they recognize that, it isn't some happy recognition. It is a painful mourning recognition of their own sin. God does this work, but there is pain first before there is reconciliation with God because we start out sinful. Sin puts us at war with God. God then works to remove that that wrath that he has, that enmity towards us by providing Christ. And that's the joyful thing. God does not simply leave us in wrath according to his justice. He sends us Christ to provide peace according to his mercy and his grace. God is the great peacemaker. Think of it this way. If peace were to depend upon us, if we were the ones that had to provide peace, it would never happen because trapped in our sin, we don't long for peace. We stay at war. That's what Ephesians 2 says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. 2.3 says you were children of wrath, even as the rest. You didn't want out of this. You were at war with God. And you would remain so unless God himself determined to make peace with you. He must move first. And what a joy that he does so. He's righteous and just and holy and wrathful. He's also gracious and loving and longing for peace. And so what did he do? He sent his son that we might have peace with him, we who hated him, who were antagonistic against him. Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. And this speaks of peace made first. It's kind of a horizontal peace between the Jews who knew of God and the Gentiles who had no thoughts towards God. God puts them together as one in the church through Christ. But then in the bigger picture at the end of that, that he might make the two into one new man, verse 16 of Ephesians 2, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile, that is, that's our, our theological word, might bring them into right relationship, might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. It's gone in Christ when we repent and believe in Christ. God's anger towards our sin is totally satisfied in Jesus. That's why we call it a propitiatory sacrifice. It takes, he has taken the full wrath of God against sin. The enmity is gone. What an amazing thing. And this is absolutely necessary for every man in order to be in right relationship with God. There must be peace. And then it says it in Ephesians 2.17, and he came that is Jesus, and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. What a blessing. He came to reveal that peace, to say you may be at peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, that's how we enter into peace. We're given the righteousness of Christ as we repent and believe. And so we're seen having his righteousness. Therefore God has no wrath. 
Because our sin was imputed to Christ and his righteousness was imputed to us. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is necessary to enter into the kingdom. Someone had to make peace. God took the first step to do that. But there is another step. Because that peace is not communicated to us apart from someone telling us. We must hear the message. God does not speak the message directly to us apart from the work of man. And what I mean by that is that he provided us the scriptures, which then must be preached and taught and presented in some way through the mediary, through those who go forth to present that truth. Romans 10 is clear. How will they hear unless there is a preacher? God does not just speak this word to the heart of an individual to make peace. He speaks it through men. He speaks it through you. And each of you, every one of you who sits here this morning in right relationship with God had someone who was used by God to be a peacemaker in your life. That is to present you with the truth of the word of God so that you could come into right relationship. So God made the first step. He is the one who has made peace. He laid the foundation. It is his peace. He does the work, but man presents the message. We have to proclaim it. What does Isaiah 52, 7 say? How lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation. Because that's what salvation is, peace with God. And that must be announced. It must be spoken. So God makes the peace through Christ, but then there must be peacemakers. That is those who go and preach the gospel, who present it, who send an email with the gospel, who drop gospel leaflets in North Korea, who then preach on the radio, who talk to you individually, parents that were faithful to present. Wherever it might be, there need to be peacemakers continually going forth to present the truth of the peace that has been made. Those peacemakers, they don't make that peace. They present it and provide the opportunity for God's peace to be applied. So peacemaking is necessary to enter into the kingdom, but peacemaking is necessary to live within the kingdom. Because we might think, well, God has caused us to be at peace with him. That is the foundation for being at peace with one another. There is no peace with one another apart from being first in objective peace with God. His wrath no longer upon us. And so we might think, well, if we're in the church then... And God has provided us with his peace. He's put the spirit of God inside of us, putting us all then in the same, essentially in the same condition, those who are new creations in Christ. Then shouldn't we just have peace? Well, the answer is yes and no. We are at peace. I mean, fundamentally, I don't have to invent a peace with you if you're a believer. You have the spirit of God. I have the spirit of God. The foundation for peace is laid. But what's the problem? We're still sinful. And that sin gets in the way of the peace that is reality. The living out of that peace is often marred. And scripture everywhere, it says, as we've, the verses we've already read and we'll continue to read, that we have to be diligent to continue making that peace or really living out that peace. Unbelievers have no chance. Believers have every ability, and yet if they do not pursue peace, what happens is that there is a, a harming of relationship, the sin that, sin that creeps in, and there's a lack of unity as a result. Ephesians 4.3 makes this very clear. It says we are to be diligent or being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We've been given that unity in the Spirit, but we have to preserve it. We do that in the bond of peace by continuing to make peace with other believers relationally. That's the issue. In the church, both theologically and relationally, we continue to make that peace. So it is necessary to maintain the unity of peace with one another. And then, secondarily, or really uh, a second point, it's not less important, 
we are then to be peacemakers to the rest of the world. That's what the church is supposed to do. So we're peacemakers amongst one another. And as we do that, then we are able and effective to reach out to the lost world and proclaim the truth of the gospel to them. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of God, be excuse me, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Again, there's our term, be in right relationship. And we proclaim that. So we're peacemakers really in two ways in the body of Christ, with one another, and then telling a dying world that they need to be at peace with God and giving them the message. But please understand that the two are directly connected. You cannot simply say, well, I'm going to be a proclaimer of that truth, a peacemaker to unbelievers, and I don't really like the church. And I don't really want to be at peace with members of the church. And I can't even find a church that, you know, that I really like. So I'll go out and do it on my own. But the church, that's eh, secondary. It's not secondary. If you don't have peace with other believers, you've got nothing to tell unbelievers. You need a peace with God. And that enables you to experience peace. Well, why aren't you even going to a church? Well, I, I don't like any of those people. I, I'm, so I should listen to your gospel? This God that you say brings such great peace, you can't even get along with other believers? You see what I mean? These two go hand in hand, and when the peace in the church is strong, then the evangelism of the church is strong. When the peace in the church is weak, our evangelism is weak. Our light is dim, and we're unable to truly proclaim the gospel the way we need to. And then third, as is stated here in our text, peacemaking is necessary to enter into the final aspect of the kingdom. That is, you, the fact that you make peace, that this is fundamental to who you are, that is the, that's the, the demonstration of the reality that you are actually a child of God. And who are the only people that enter into the kingdom or the final aspects of the kingdom when Christ comes again? Children of God. Nobody else gets in. So being a peacemaker is the demonstration that you are actually a child of God. And so when God returns again, he will look and say, ah, there's my kids. Those are my children. Those are peacemakers. They made peace. That was the demonstration. My DNA is in them because God is a peacemaker. He is the one who goes forward to provide the way for peace. How can we do less? And to say, to, to sit here week after week and say, you know, I'm going to be in the kingdom and be at war with people and refuse to, to overcome your conflicts with them and to not be able to resolve issues and difficulties with one another is to lie to yourself. Either you are a disobedient Christian stuck deeply with roots of sin that will make you, that will cause you to lack assurance because it's hard to see that you're a child of God or you're not a child of God at all because children of God are peacemakers. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King. 
and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.